The Dad presents Episode 9, Ben Lee. It all starts right now. I would have never guessed the penis and vagina <laughs> part. My God, it's a secret compartment. And that's the way I like it. Hello and welcome like to The Dad Presents. Episode number nine. We're moving on to number nine. Getting close to number ten. Nine still comes before ten on here, right there, Maddie? It does. All right. <laughs> so I'm I'm B, first of all. I'm joined here as always by Jay Maddie. What's going on, people? And a very special guest today, Mr. Ben Lee. Ben Lee. Woo! Join us. Thank you for having me. <gasps> Thank you for coming. And that, that that accent just gives this show so much more class, doesn't yeah, it? It's we're very, very diversificated, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I so, know you guys. I heard you guys got the note that you had to diversify and include more Australians. <laughs> it's a, yeah, it's big, a big push for big that. Big note now. in the city. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really. Yeah, you are. You're our token. It's hard to get on any <laughs> podcast if you're not Australian. Now. Yeah, I heard they're they're taking some people out for that. <laughs> yeah. No, and of course we are all here and all grateful to be here. We all celebrated and survived. I guess you could say Thanksgiving. Um, I'll go around uh, the room and see how each person's Thanksgiving was before we get into it, Maddie. Oh man, you, you know, back east. Thanksgiving is it's great to get together with family. I love it. I love my family. They're a little rednecky, but they're they're good people. Um, but the thing is, you know, I've been doing that Wim Hof training. Are you familiar with Wim Hof? Oh, the ice guy. Yeah, yeah, I've been I've been doing that. I've been doing the ice baths, the breathing. But what you were just complaining how cold exactly, it was on the east coast. Exactly. So, <laughs> I feel like if anything, you should have been able to withstand that. <laughs> I did too. So I went back east, and I'm thinking I'm all hard now. And my brother, he gave me these uh, long johns to wear because we, we we there's a race back there. It's a nine mile outdoor race, mm-hmm. and the weather was 11 degrees. So you're gonna stand outside for two hours. And I felt like he was babying me because I'm from California. And also I felt like I'm, I'm hard now. I've been doing the Wim Hof stuff. So I, I declined the long johns and it was fucking cold. 11 degrees. And um, I was in pain. I'm pretty sure I got frostbite on my jingle jangles. Right on. And um, I'm worried now that I won't be able to give the, the bride that third baby she wants. Well, would you call it now an ice dickle instead of an icicle? If, if you're lame and, and like puns, <laughs> you could do that, sure. <laughs> Couldn't resist. <laughs> ben, how was your Thanksgiving? What what happened? What, what does, is an Australian type Thanksgiving? Well, about? we don't. You know, this is an American holiday. Of course, oh, it is? so I didn't grow. I, up. Yeah. <laughs> so it like, has to do with American imperialism, not Australia. <laughs> <laughs> we have a whole other colonial issue. We, sure. Um, sure. But uh, yeah, so we I have it with my wife's family. Um, in who, me, and my wife grew up in, in California, and so her family's all around, and mm-hmm. we. So we actually spent. Uh, we we did two. We did a little Thanksgiving hopping. We mm-hmm. went to first. We went to um, Jenny Connor, who's one of the um, the creators of Camping. This show that I just did the Good show. music yeah, on and that later. On yeah. and, um, mm-hmm. and then we went to my wife's brother's place, and so we had we had a double double dose. That's how yeah. it usually is. Yeah, it was good. Good. Yeah. He stacks up on the food. That's it was nice. That's very American. Is to overeat and get you know a little obese on Thanksgiving. Exactly. My biggest problem with Thanksgiving, and I'll tell you, what is the etiquette? on people you invite over for Thanksgiving on allowing them to take a plate home. Because we had this guy who very few, like barely, I don't even know who the guy was, but he came to my folks' house for Thanksgiving. Well, I, I hope somebody knew him. Well, like, me too. It could just be a random guy. But at the end of the night, he's piling on plates to take home like 
we know the guy. Is there like an etiquette? There should be an no, etiquette, man, right? It's the time of giving. Let him have it. I mean, but what are you, you going to do with it? You should, someone's got to offer you that. You can't just say. I hey, think it's understood at Thanksgiving that you can take a plate home. I'm pretty sure. That's a, I don't think that should be a given. I mean, most of that food gets thrown out anyway. Uh, so you should have. It bothered me. I got to say that was that was my Thanksgiving gripe, if you will. All right, <laughs> but. It just seems like you should have to ask. There's somebody who should. It would be polite to ask. Yes. It would there be should polite. be something, not yeah. just the piling on of food and then out the door. But that was Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Looking forward now to Christmas, everybody. Um, this is the time we take listener questions. Maddie, you have listener questions ready? Yeah, yeah. So, so Ben, we listeners write in with parenting questions. And I usually pick a few out when we read them. So I, I know you have like a eight or nine year old girl. Yeah, nine year old daughter and a almost seventeen year old stepdaughter. Yeah, a nine year old daughter. Yep, yep. Yes. I got a nine year old boy. So yeah. I picked some questions that might be relevant for all of us. Yeah. All right. So we got. Um, scroll down here. We got a question from Todd. Mm-hmm. All right. This is a good one. He says, "I caught my nine year old aggressively humping her teddy bear while my wife was at work." I didn't know how to handle it, so I pretended not to see it until my wife came home. How would you handle this situation? Ben, you're the guest. You go first. <laughs> I would let you just get, jump right on in there I with mean, this I, question. I think there's a lot of um, weird complexes that are created through the way parents respond to their kids' emerging sexuality. And, yes, and, and for sure. It might be overt, starting to get more overt at nine, but it's there from when kids are really little, like just interest in their bodies mm-hmm. and... and, and and I think his impulse, it's interesting, he's sort of feeling like he did the wrong thing, ignoring it. But mm. I think in some ways that's actually like a pretty healthy response. Sure. Like, give the kids some privacy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. what do you want? To, you need to make some big grand statement. That, right. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? And, and it's you're like, very, oh, you're into teddy bears. Then you, yeah. then you make her feel ashamed of it. Yeah. yeah. And, and then, fun. yeah. But no, I tend to side with Ben, a veteran of women in the house, you know, nine-year-old girl, both of us. And I think it's one of those instances where you have to treat it like she's an adult. You wouldn't want someone lecturing you when you're you're caught masturbating, right? <laughs> I mean, at, at four. Well, I mean, unless you're into that. <laughs> yeah, unless someone you know someone beats down the door and then ha- holds a lecture on what you're doing. I think ignoring it is a good good move because whenever you give something so much importance with kids, it it magnifies it way beyond important to them. If you if you scream at something, it's so much more important to them because. You know, in in some ways, they look at you as Superman and Superwoman, mom and dad. And when you are affected by something, they think it's like, holy shit, this is serious. You know, Um, I think ignoring is the best play. Talking to your wife when she got home about how to talk about it, because it is worth the conversation. And at nine, we just had the sex talk with my daughter about six months ago, I think. Not really. You showed her a book. Not exactly a talk. We showed her Luca's talking. (laughs) Yes. No, no. Well... (laughs) We use the book as a guide and we talked about things separately. So, you know, and there is no right or wrong way to tell your kids about sex. I think it's what you do, uh, whatever makes you feel comfortable. But understand that the conversation has to be made. Ignoring it, I think in this case, is the right idea. And now double double down on it and have that conversation with her because sooner or later, she's going to ask questions if she hasn't already. My, yeah, look, my daughter had the best response when we really explained. Because it took a few explanations yeah. like the first ones you feel like she tuned out and then mm-hmm. as, as when she really digested i remember turning to her and saying what is that kind of what you thought 
sex was? She's like, she said, I would have never guessed the penis and vagina yeah. part. I, I don't know. I don't know who would. She said, I would have never guessed that part. Yeah. And I love that. It was like she was talking about a plot twist. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, but to her, it, yeah. girls are actually anybody really. It's probably like an alien thing, like something yeah. that they'd see in a movie. So I could, yeah. totally, I could totally get that. Look, I, it, when I was in second grade, I got caught at recess behind the coat rack humping Angela Herring's furry hooded coat. I got sent home from school for that, as Mm -hmm. I I guess probably you should. shouldn't be doing that at school. But instead of my parents explaining to me what that was all about, you know, they punished me, made me feel really bad about it. So then, you know, we never had that talk. Like, I think the right idea is... Ignore it, pretend you didn't see it, and then talk about it later. That's the that's the. But best don't way interrupt them. Don't make them feel bad. I mean, we all we all do it, you know. All sure. healthy people, anyway. So exactly. You know. And Todd, I, we hope that helps. All but, right. Yeah, I think so. Good advice, guys. That might be the first time we've all been on the same page. I was just about to say that we usually disagree. That is true. All right. I'm usually right most of the time. Okay, so we got we got Gary. All right. He hey, says, Gary. and I thought this would be a, a good one for Ben because it relates to show business. He says, uh, I'm a working comedian. I'm on the road a lot, so I miss a lot of the stuff with my kids. Mm. Do you guys miss time with your kids? Do you feel guilty about it? How do you manage that? And how do you make up for the lost time? Uh, I mean. I've it's been interesting with my career because it's sort of the the touring portion really slowed down when I had kids it just happened organically mm. um I toured a lot my my peak of touring of being like on the road 9 10 months a year was in my mid 20s yeah and then it just sort of you know, sometimes the market dictates what work is available and what we so for a touring comedian if that's where his hustle is and that's where he's making his money you got to do it mm. um and I really feel for, um, I think, dads who are um, who travel for work, it's very easy, I think, to sort of like feel, oh, they don't, they don't have to carry the weight of parenting. But I think it is incredibly painful mm-hmm. um, to not be there for those moments, those day-to-day moments. Yeah. Um, and um, I don't know. I don't have any really good – we're lucky technology makes it easier than it's ever been to stay – Sure. A part of it, but mm-hmm. sometimes you're in different time zones, and it's very it's painful. Yeah, no. it's painful. No, I you know it's it's tough. Uh, if you work, if you're out of town, if there's meetings and whatever, the only thing I could say is to make up for it by spoiling them. Like on <laughs> that, that, that's the only thing you could do. Because do you the, like Red Dead Redemption too? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. But. No, no that's not how you make up for it, man. You make up for it by, like, when you are there, you're engaged. Well, that's what you I'm saying. Shower it's, them in, in gifts that, and replace no, that's love what, with stuff. It's, it's all a part of the same thing, is that because they're getting shorted in one area, you now overcompensate in another. And that's what you do, is that your time with them, if it's short, has to be the best time ever. And if yeah. that means that we break rules by, okay, yeah, we can eat ice cream at 12 o'clock sure. at night. <laughs> sure. Then go with but that. you don't want to become the kind of guy who replaces your presence with things. No, and it's different. Like, say for instance, you can you can that can be you know on top of it. Sure. To make it a little you know yeah cherry on top. Yeah, but if you're like if you're going through a divorce, for instance, and you're trying to say you know what I'm the cool dad here, let me take you out and I'll overcompensate that way. That's the wrong way to play it. I'm saying that if you're in a situation where work is pulling you away or whatever is pulling you away. You have to overcompensate because they're getting shorted, and you have to make up the difference by overcompensating on the quality of time you spend Absolutely. with your kid. Yeah. yeah, I had someone say a, a, a similar 
point. They, they had a nice way of saying it: um, uh, depth versus balance. Yes, that's that better sometimes than you can't have the balance. <laughs> sure. Like it just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. But you can create depth in the experiences that are actually there. And I think you you had a really good point about uh, being present. Yeah, because mm-hmm. you know you might only get a little. You might have a little less time, but you can make it meaningful. I guess in a way that's substantial. You can make it so. meaningful just by actually listening to your kids. Yeah, yeah true. Yeah, yeah. Because one thing you know. Kids ask a shit ton of questions. They're very curious. Mm-hmm. And some parents shut that down right away by just saying, just because, or because I said so, or what are they? But if you engage and answer those questions, those questions keep coming, and then that can make that time rich, just by listening, answering the questions, making them feel important. Yeah. yeah. I agree with that. Should we? So uh, we got Ben Lee here. You, you know what? Yeah. No, we want to take advantage of Ben Lee's time. Because yeah. I didn't give him, I gave him kind of like the short intro, Matt. You roll into everything because I'm sitting there reading up on this guy. He's, you're younger than me. It's by too the way. complicated. It, it's it's, it's it's a lot, man. I mean, I'm sitting here like, holy shit! And how old is he? He's younger than me. That's like, the first question. So yeah. I, I'm a fan. Yeah, right. Yeah. You're younger than both of us. Yes. And I just so I just turned forty. I, I know. I read yeah, that. And right? like we said, yeah. you are younger okay. than. Okay, both. Okay. And you know, here, here's my first question. You, sure. you know, you kind of found a little bit of fame around 13, 14 years old. Mm-hmm. So number one, I'm I'm wondering how did that happen for you in Australia? And number two. I've only known you now for 10 minutes, but you, you seem pretty normal. And most child stars I've come across, they're a little fucked up. So how did you manage to keep yourself balanced? Cool. Um, well, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of things to qualify in that introduction. Um, <laughs> like when you say child stars, we're talking about like underground music. Um, it's not exactly the same types of tests that someone like Justin Bieber is. Sure. You know, no. when, when, mm-hmm. on that mass media level. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, I I had a band, no, sort of, yeah, yeah, indie rock band, and we were in some magazines, and this is all sort of a bit before the internet. Also, really, I wasn't even really aware. Like, we started making music when I was fourteen. Mm-hmm. I wasn't even really aware that our music had an audience because we didn't. I didn't get the internet until um, we were sixteen in our house. That would have been whatever that was. Um, Ninety six. Good job. He's good um, at math too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> Oh no, that was eighteen. I was eighteen then. Sorry, no bad at oh. it. No, so ninety four. Not so good at math. Um, yeah, no. exactly. So, <laughs> so I didn't realize some of the, I think, issues that come up has to do with how dependent you become at an emotionally immature age on the re- response and validation of others and the feedback. Right. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't really getting the feedback okay. because we were in Australia in this little band and I didn't really understand how widespread our following had become, even at this small level. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, so that's part of it. That mm. I, to a degree... So you're, you're a little bit oblivious to how well you were yes, doing. Yes. Mm. That probably a, helps. In a sense. Yeah. Now, there is another sense that in a way any degree of fame or celebrity is warping sure um so even at a local level when you become you know say a kid is good at sport and gets treated like hey that's the cool guy that can throw a javelin yeah. in I high mean, school he wouldn't know about that but yeah i know what you're talking about <laughs> yeah javelins are not cool but go ahead but you know what i mean it, it becomes a part of your identity and sure. you do become a bit dependent on it in a way so to mature beyond that and to continually let go of all the ways that you've defined yourself. It, it, this is like all of us. It's life. Like, is it just, am I just a dad? Am I just the person who does my job? Am I just an artist? Am I just the guy in the neighborhood that says hi to everybody? Like, mm-hmm. you got to kind of like continually let go of all these identities and step into a fresh start each day. And so I think that's been my journey as an artist has been going, okay, that was yesterday. 
Mm-hmm. And who am I today? What's fun today? What do I feel like doing today? And in that way, uh, coming from that mindset, I've just been sort of present through the journey. And now it's like I'm, you know, 26 years into a career in show business, but it doesn't feel like that. It feels mm-hmm. like getting up and going, what's going to be fun today? What can I make today? And yeah. it's just the same as it's always been. Got it. And, you know, part of that, and, and this kind of goes into one of my questions. Um, I didn't know a whole lot about you before Maddie said, hey, we got him. And I said, okay, I think I know who you're talking about, but let me <laughs> let, let me re- I think research. I saw him on VH1, yeah. I heard the 90s or something. But what was funny, as I started listening to your stuff, I'm like, well, yeah, I heard that on oh, really? such and okay. such. Yeah, I heard like, that like on movies or commercials <laughs> yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah. And so you just said, basically, you don't, it, it's never an intent as you're making music. You just said, you know, it's about what's fun for the day. What about your music? makes do you think makes people say holy shit we need to put that in the commercial right away like because it's not intentional by you you're you're just having fun no but what's interesting Mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. so like there was a portion of my career where i was getting songs in a lot of commercials there was another period where i was getting songs in a lot of tv shows Mm -hmm. and then recently i've been scoring a tv show and in a way these are all yeah so these are all different yeah but there is something about the way the music I'm making is complementing someone else's storytelling yeah. or something that I I don't have an answer to that. <laughs> mm-hmm. I do know that, you know, we all, I mean, we've all had this experience of like doing something in our life. Say we're driving down the highway and imagining a song playing like we're in the movies. Yeah. And there's some types of music that are more conducive to meshing the visual and the audio realms. Sure, yeah. so, I, I don't know why certain artists, we like that. Why do we want to hear certain things mm-hmm. while we're doing certain things? But it does happen. Yeah. I, I have, when I'm walking around and doing things or jogging, yeah. I have like a soundtrack to my yeah. life going on. Yeah. Do, do you have that? Does that help you in the yeah, in the for sure. yeah. And you know how many people have like worked out to Eminem lose yourself. Right. Right. Everybody. Because it's like there's something about that. For some reason it captures a feeling. And I, I, I maybe there's something about that I've always ridden with a degree of like hopefulness mm-hmm. or romance or yearning that has lent itself to some kind of drama, you know, backing up some drama or something. But but I think the thing is too that I don't think about always what the final form of how music is going to get across to people. Cause you can't mm-hmm. predict that. Is someone yeah. going to want to put this in a TV show? Mm-hmm. But you can't I, make it for that reason. No, but I've yeah. always liked my music to be heard. Sure. And I've always wanted that. So I've yeah. been ambitious in that way. I've been like, I want to make something really cool that people like to right. listen to. Mm-hmm. And then I don't really, as far as what is the medium of delivery, yeah. I feel like that's a little would be a little arrogant for me to be make too many demands on that. I just say yeah. like look, I'm a musician, I want to be heard. Let's see what what happens when the phone rings. Yeah. What ha- you know, <laughs> I'm I'm open. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, recently you've you've made some real out of the box choices regarding your music and the projects you've, you've taken on. What like what's inspired some of these things? Like B is for beer. That's yeah, I wrote a musical with Tom Robbins. What um, brought that about? I found the book, and uh, Tom Robbins is one of the great American living writers. I mean, he wrote Even Cowgirls Get the Blues, Jitterbug Perfume. Like, great. You know, he's 86 now, and I it touched me. I mean, I... Yeah. I, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's a whole conversation of why this particular book and this subject matter, it's, it's about consciousness and mm-hmm. about why do we alter consciousness. So uh, it's from a little girl's perspective, watching her dad drink a beer, watching the football. Mm-hmm. But what it's really about is like, what are adults doing to their minds? Right. <laughs> and I 
like you had psychedelics. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I, I did that too. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I've, mm-hmm. I love psychedelics. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm not. I don't think they're for young people for the most part. I think there's something that you can only really appreciate as you get older. They're like an. They're, they're more like a tool for adulthood, effectively. Yeah. I think. But um, are, are you are you willing to? share that experience like what you're i mean you i mean you wrote a whole album about it so yeah i, think so. I mean i, I don't i mean i don't see it as like i mean it's funny when i was younger i felt it was more controversial because when you're like young and trying to be a pop star and everything you you're sort of worried are people gonna like young people gonna copy you or whatever but now my audience mm-hmm. they, they they're living their lives they think for themselves yeah. Yeah. it's also this become just, a little bit trendy too yeah. yeah i guess so and like microdosing and all that but i just think of it as like in the history of humanity every culture has altered their consciousness. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's through plants, through breath techniques, through yoga, through meditation, through fasting, there is not one single culture that has not said, if we kind of tweak this system we've got here, yeah. some pretty cool things can happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it almost feels like um, uh, it's like reductive to not value them, not value these kind of tools because mm-hmm. we, there's some evolutionary purpose. I don't know what it is, it but we, are, we use it. It's like, there's all kinds of theories about the evolution of language or hunting or how, you know, how the human brain has evolved in interaction with these expanded states of consciousness. But I just look at it in terms of it's very mysterious, yeah. but it's kind of like sex or something like you can, you can whittle sexual attraction down to like a biological imperative Mm -hmm. Uh, but there's more going on than that i mean there are many needs on many levels being fulfilled by people when they come together sexually yeah and i think very similar with psychedelics absolutely and it's interesting it's interesting that those two things drugs and sex are two things that we tend to shame in this country and all over the world because those are two things that like you said have been going on in every single civilization in all of humanity, yet we choose to like make them shameful. It doesn't really compute. And I would and I would say the same with rock and roll, just to complete the Trinity, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Rock mm-hmm. and roll to me is about rhythmic shamanic states. Mm-hmm. Every culture, for the most part, has had some kind of transformative experience, whether it's in religious ceremony sure. or just drumming or you know, where fast, exciting music brings on these sort of ecstatic states and we understand different things about who we are as people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's funny how these things have almost been like condescension, like, oh, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And they all work together. <laughs> yeah, too. You're talking sure. about three of the great yeah. mysteries of humanity. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. And you know, that's puzzling because I mean, it, all that is true. And I've used this to strengthen an argument. There's a, a lot of controversy about raves and, oh my God, there's these drugs, there's these kids, there's this music and this music makes these kids use drugs and they go to these concerts and they fall out and they die and all the, you know, the worst horror stories in the world. And no one ever stops the folks that are saying this from, from going back and saying, you know, there was Elvis Presley, there was Jimi Hendrix. This has all happened before. This is nothing really new. Um, but it, it's now it's like the horror stories. Matter of fact, the Electric Daisy Carnival, uh, which used to be in L.A. years ago, actually got to start out here. Big time rave. Um had to basically pack ship and go to Vegas because the politi- politicians in LA and the, you know, the stakeholders said, you know, there was one girl who died because she overdosed and therefore this is all bad. And now everyone must leave. And all of that tax yeah, money. But you can't even Vegas. necessarily prove she overdosed because of, you, the, don't, you, you don't know what else was in her system. You don't and, know when she took the drugs. You don't know anything, but they, they pitched it and it was enough to get this event out of town. 
And no one ever said, wait, stop. First of all, we don't know if she got high there. We don't know when she got high. And hasn't this happened before? Like people in drugs and music have been together forever. But it's just weird that that was the argument that actually got this event out of town. That's really interesting. I mean, yeah. I'm not I'm not someone obsessed with um, the legalities of things and all. Sure. You know, the, the, these questions about how do you govern a functioning society, are, they're beyond me. You know, mm. they're beyond my realm of expertise or influence. Yeah. But I, I will say that there is a definite bias on the part of functioning systems, whether they <laughs> we yeah. can look at this and go, it's basically functioning, mm-hmm. um, against uh, disruptive experiences. Exactly. Yeah, so whether exactly. that's in China, they don't they want, want the Falun Gong mm. congregating yeah. in big numbers. Mm. They don't want people taking psychedelics. They don't want people gathering, listening to music together, unless it's all very like corporately sanctioned. And yes. you know, these. And I get it. I mm. mean, like as a parent. If I'm trying to maintain a peaceful household, if my daughter's like, can I, can I invite six friends over? Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> this is about to be terrifying yeah. because I know that my authority and the, the peacekeeping mm-hmm. is about to be challenged. That's it. Authority. It's, not, it's yeah. not good for order and authority it's not, it's when not. everybody's doing hallucinogenics sure. and dancing at raves. That's and, right. It's not yeah. good. And it's not good to have people congregating, sharing ideas right. and inspiring each other to challenge authority. Right. Like yeah. I know when six kids get together, one of them goes, I dare you to go in and say <laughs> to my dad, blah, blah, blah. And the other Absolutely. one's like, well, I dare you. And suddenly they've all upped the ante on sure. the types of behavior. And I'm not going to deny that. Like a lot of the things I'm interested in are in a sense socially transgressive because mm-hmm. they do challenge the order of society. But- those things must be fundamental in order for society to progress. Yeah. Because it doesn't, like, there has to be some sense of revolution. Mm -hmm. Society can't progress just through a completely orderly exchange of ideas. It It has to happen through people having shamanic experiences. It never has. So I I don't want to be, like... I can't be too much of an apologist and mm-hmm. to say, look, I am, I'm a very peaceful member of my community and I don't, like, I like, I like living an orderly life, but sure. I also like creating space in my life mm-hmm. um, for a, an adult that has all their faculties to make responsible decisions mm-hmm. to explore the outer realms of possibility as long as I'm safe and I'm not hurting anyone. And you know what I mean? That's where all the good stuff comes from. So it's that's what art is. I mean, when I get together with a friend and I jam, I don't go, okay, we're going to start a jam and it might go on for six days and I'm going to neglect feeding my children. I just, (laughs) there's got to be some boundaries on it. Right. But I go, Hey, let's jam for an hour and see what comes out. And we go out there. And then at the end of that, we all go back to our responsibilities and we go home and there's got to be like place for those experiences. Yeah. And if the kids don't eat, they don't eat. (laughs) 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 Fuck it. Right. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. So I went on a tangent going, no, this is good. why I was attracted to this book, Beers for Beer. Mm-hmm. This is what it's about. It's about like the integration of this conversation about expanded states of consciousness into society. And Tom Robbins wrote this gorgeous book about it. And I turned it into a musical with Tom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's that's cool. It's <laughs> no, so like, as you can see, it's very marketable. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, but he, he, you are like you you have you've touched so many like different things, like a variety of things that we were talking about before you got here. The book uh, on Islam. Uh, oh, no, music. His, yeah, I made his, an album. Yeah, his yes. wife is Muslim. Ah, yes. cool. He's uh, his family's Christian. Yes. So I mean, I, I never would have thought of in a million years writing a a, a children's album. Sure. For Islam, it's really interesting. Like, where did that come from? Well, where that came from was um, at that time, I was very interested in, um, I guess you'd call it the thematic uh, cross 
sections of, that you find in, say, the five major religions, you know, mm-hmm. Judaism, Islam, Hinduism, Christianity, and Buddhism. Um, there's certain systems, numbers, themes, stories, lessons that seem to go through all of them and must be to some degree innate to the stories we want to tell about ourselves sure. as humanity or take out the idea of even whether you believe God exists or doesn't exist, but our sense of possibility. Like I always think in some ways when people are talking about deities or gods, they're really talking about the potential of humanity mm-hmm. and what we perceive we might be yeah. locked away in these like most you, secret- you think individual people are, are thinking that way? No, I think it's, um, I think collectively we don't realize it. I think it's yeah, unconscious. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think there's, I think what we're talking about is human potential. Like when we talk, all stories in religions are stories of creators, mm-hmm. yep. of someone who created a world. That's what each of us do every day. Right. Like mm-hmm. All of our lives are these weird little worlds we've created. Mm-hmm. And how do we govern them? And how do we, what is it? What does it mean to create? And that's exactly. really, I think that the history of religion is really a debate about the history of what it means to be creative, right. what it means to be a creator. And and so I was very interested in this. And so I had this idea of making five albums, five children's albums, um, one around each of the world's major oh, wow. religions. And I got, <laughs> I got quite far into it. Um, mm. And then when Trump came into office and the travel ban uh, got enacted or initially, I just thought, you know, I can't wait for this larger... Like, one of the things I find that is about being creative Mm -hmm. is that you have one plan, but you have to be willing to abort that plan and move to something else if the nature of the moment demands it of you. Mm -hmm. And I felt in this moment to be silent and to not speak of the virtues of the philosophic virtues of a certain tradition. And again, I'm not someone like the most extreme people who criticize that album was like, Oh, does Benley believe in suicide bombing? <laughs> oh, like, you know what I mean? No, but people come out and say these kind of things on Twitter or whatever. Yeah. And you go like, like I am not, uh, for me, the whole issue of like fundamentalism mm. and even orthodoxy, let alone fanaticism and terrorism and war, that's way away from what I'm interested in. Sure. What I'm interested in is the exchange of ideas yeah. and the exchange of stories. And to deny that there is value and beauty in an entire cultural tapestry of, of history and song yeah, and poetry, is. it's like craziness. Yeah, so I well, was just, I just raised my hand and just even, said, I, I I respect the philosophical tradition of this, and here's a bunch of songs inspired by it, mm-hmm. and that's yeah. it. But it's weird because the people who come out with the arguments against the so-called extremists are actually extremists because they're saying that this can't possibly be a valid religion because they do X, Y, and Z, and that's an extreme way of thinking, and that it, it's it it's just it it goes around in circles. You can't stop it. But and all the all religions, is, yeah. if you obeyed them to the letter, you would sure. be an insane terrorist. Sure, sure, absolutely. <laughs> or just yeah. a lunatic. Like it's just that Christianity has become more secularized than Islam in some parts of the world. Yeah. That's yeah. the only difference. Yeah. So, really. And I mean, if you meet a fanatic in any religion, you would not want to like have dinner with them. You know mm, what I mean? Sure. It's not a nice energy. Mm. Um, but no. that doesn't mean like we can't like continue to exchange stories and traditions and, sure. right. and that's what, that's moral what, lessons that we've learned. Mm-hmm. You know? I feel like religion is in place to bring people together and it's kind of uh, explain things that we don't yet understand about ourselves. It's, it's oh, replaced, it's replaced uh, science 
in, in some regards. And the more we learn scientifically about ourselves and the world, uh, religion, people are becoming less religious in the world. But what you find is that other things are replacing that. Like um, atheism is starting to become a bit like a religion. You know, there's all kinds of rules and it's, it's a club that people belong to. So as we grow away from religion, we're replacing it with other things up. Uh, Politics is becoming very religious in that yeah, you're, on, you're on team Democrat or you're on team uh, conservative, Republican, and you better be on this point, this point, this point, and this point. I, I also think that this, again, ties back to the conversation we were having about psychedelics and order and everything in, in that all fanaticism is bred out of an attachment to knowing and same same in political right. fanaticism. Yeah. I'm like, I, I know. know the way yeah. that society is going to be better. It's going to be with mm. this set of policies yeah. or this. And as an artist um, I, I, and a collaborator, it's just it's the antithesis of how I have to carry myself through life. I, mm. I can't I can't be effective as an artist if I believe I know because why would I finish the song I started? I mean, you, you only finish it because you don't know what's at the other end. Mm-hmm. Oh, if, I, wow. if I know what's going to happen with a collaborator when I get in a room with them, if I knew, I would never go in. Hmm. I, I don't, I can't know. Why would I sit down and do this podcast if I knew exactly what it was going to be? Right. I mean, it's only interesting when we don't know. Yeah. And I think that is, that whole shakeup is um, a much more fertile state to mm-hmm. be in than the state of convincing ourselves we know. Yeah, and we don't know. That's the thing. We don't know. And recently in politics, it's become a trend where you 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 state something and then you can't ever change your mind. Like, yeah, what's yeah. wrong with changing your mind? Like, you, you learn more and you realize, oh, before I was wrong. They call that a flip-flopper. I call that, you know, that's learning. I learned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I agree with that. And I think that Salvador Dali said, you know, I reserve the right to contradict myself. Sure. I think that is the way artists think. Um, and this, again, this goes up against uh, the way our world fundamentally works at the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, good, it's good to admit you don't know. Because most of us don't know much about anything. Mm. You know, even if you, there might be one thing you're an expert in, but 99% of the other things... You're winging it. You're winging it. <laughs> that's that's what I like it. about humor. Um, mm-hmm. I think humor... I think when we laugh the right kind of laugh, like not a mean spirited laugh, mm-hmm. but when we really Super laugh, honest. we sort yeah. of like surrender to the absurdity, mm-hmm. um, to what we don't know. Um, to this humility of laughing at ourselves, yes. I think, you know, it's very healing. No, it, if you, if you can't have a sense of humor about yourself, you're, you're in a very dark place. Yeah. I think that's, a, that's a big problem in the world today is, I mean, being empathetic towards others and sensitive is important, but also we have to have the ability to laugh at ourselves. People are too oversensitive. It probably comes from a place of insecurity, but so oversensitive and defensive, mm-hmm. it's creating some problems. Yeah. Like laugh at yourself, make fun of yourself, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. It's healthy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you about uh, Catch My Disease, because um, that's one of my favorite songs. You know, I mean, that was probably your most commercially successful yeah. song. Yeah. Um, what the fuck is that song about? <laughs> um uh, that song's about a feeling. Um, I was backstage with um, this guy McGowan and Lara, who I was touring with at the time, great friends, great musicians, and we were jamming on this chord structure, and it was fun. I, I can't describe it any. It is I a mean, fun song. There is, there are a lot worse. You can do a lot worse than using fun as mm-hmm. your compass needle, um, and. 
it was fun. And I think that feeling of like the infectiousness of fun mm-hmm, was mm-hmm. sort of what it's about. Catch my disease. I mean, it, it's joy, fun, mm. um, a groove. There's something about it that's, it shouldn't be underestimated. Yeah. You know? Oh, no way. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you're not having fun in life, what are you doing? Yeah. Right. You're here for a short while. If fun isn't one of the main goals of your life, you're doing it wrong. And it's funny how um, a lot of now some of the projects I'm working on are with sort of like a maybe like a higher caliber, superficially, maybe you'd say like more powerful people or artists or people that are make more money or whatever. Um, but you still realize that having offering people a fun experience is it goes a long way. Sure. Like people will say yes to things regardless of what their sure. other else is on the table, yeah. if they think something's going to Some, be fun. Or they might miss out on something. Yeah. That's, you don't yeah. want to well, miss out on Well, that's the downside of it. Yeah, that's yeah. like the lack. <laughs> but, well, I mean, yeah. entertainment, there's so much money in entertainment for the very purpose that people want to have a good time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Um, the, the, the opening of that song with the... Is that a kid? Toy, toy piano. Is it really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I never knew. Yeah. I'd ask no, that's that's, that's amazing. Yeah. eBay. <laughs> you got it on eBay? Or you yeah, yeah, you got it on eBay. <laughs> a little toy piano. Speaking of your, your recent projects, you're doing uh, camping now. Um, I really enjoy that show. B doesn't I, like it so much, but that's because he's black you're, you're and black not, people don't you're camp. Not like, there's black people on the show and there's black writers. There's, yeah, that's true. I, know, I just like to say racially yeah, stereotypical he, he, things he just me, to throw I, them off balance. I enjoy the show. I watch all, all the episodes. It's and, not it's not everyone's cup of tea, obviously, yeah. but I don't think that's a racial your wife. Your wife is great in that show. She's like the Thank most likable yeah, Yes. One she became it. sort of the heartbeat of yeah, the show in yeah. a way. Yeah. yeah. I'll say one thing. She captures, and I, have, I don't know, do you have siblings? Yeah, I have two sisters. I have two sisters. Yeah, yeah. She captures the awkward, her and Jennifer yeah, Garner, yeah, yeah, that yeah. awkward sort of sibling issue when you guys are not getting along <laughs> and there's problems and it's based on things that she did back in fifth so grade. Long, yeah, and right the two of them capture that better than, I don't, I don't know if you could capture it better than, because uh, cool. when, when you watch them perform together and they're feeding off each other. I'm having flashbacks of my sister tying me up and locking me in my toy room. I'm having all these things. <laughs> oh, but, we should talk about that. Oh, yeah. They, they, they <laughs> shrink stuff for, for years. I, I need to go see a shrink. But no, they, they do a, a masterful job at capturing that awkward sort of hate-filled sibling issue. And the thing about siblings, and you experience because coming out of Thanksgiving, yeah. you can't shake these people because they're your family. So you, you, you're, you're angry at them. They're awkward, but I just wanted to say she does an excellent job. No, it's true, and yeah. I think I think that's really a credit to the casting because mm. I think Jen and Ioni, they really are different. Yes, and but they because they didn't grow up together, mm-hmm. they just are fascinated with each other. Yeah, they're like, oh, you do things like that? That's so wild! Like because <laughs> they're very different people, you sure. know. Um, and I think that when you cast actors who th- there's a truth in their actual experience of each other. Yeah. They can then take that and run with it. And mm-hmm. it becomes, but obviously it gets really twisted in these characters. Yeah. But yeah. It's those, those characters are twisted. Yeah, yeah. It's good. I mean, everyone on that is so it, they're not good writing. Yeah. So when you're, when you're writing, like you scored the show, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Are you like, do you have the, the, the script in front of you or do you have just have an idea in your head? Like, how do you, how do you even go about that? Well, that was an interesting project because I'd obviously been as a husband, um, there throughout the shooting. So I'd read all the scripts. I'd, um, visited the set a handful of times, got to know some of the people, um, felt an understanding of the tone. Mm -hmm. Um, this was all before I was hired. 
Um, oh yeah, oh. yeah. So I didn't get hired until they were in post. Mm-hmm. So okay. they um, so really, the show gets shot and then you score. It. Yeah. So the, oh, okay, so I sense. actually because this was only eight episodes. Mm-hmm. If you were doing like mm-hmm. a network thing with like forty episodes, it's all of happening simultaneously. Sure. But so um, actually, the night where um, it was sort of like official was at the rap party for shooting. So so I got the the benefit of having it had all been gestating within me what this was. So it wasn't foreign. It was like I imagine if you come into some projects that's all these people you don't know and mm. you're just like trying to concoct an approach to it. I kind of knew what the music should do, yeah. and I because I knew what Jenny and Lena were doing with the show. I got mm. it, and I just I got. I got why the music should be sort of earnest and not, um, <laughs> you know, like plucky comedy Cheesy, stuff. 90, yeah. 90s. Uh... Yeah. Or just even like emphasizing the comedy. Like it shouldn't be, it shouldn't have been that. It had to be like all these people were like deeply troubled human beings. Very much so. And the comedy yeah. comes from the, the sort of tragedy of their interactions with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just sort of, yeah. So, they, so I was really creating to picture. Um, we I get an episode or two at a time and create mm. cues that went to it and yeah yeah, yeah. great great wow. yeah um one other thing I, I had on my mind the, okay. the bends yeah is that ever going to happen again or is that a one one off I mean I know enough about um, creativity to not be definite with anything yeah. um, we're not there was a period where the three of us were heavily in each other's orbits um, so. Oh, so you guys, you guys were all like friends. You knew each other. Yeah, and we were sort of playing the same venues and in the same. I don't know. It just all felt. It was sort of easy. Like promoters mm-hmm. were bringing up each mm-hmm. play. Do you want you want to do this gig with the other one? And, and so it was sort of just like bring us it was all organic. together. It, was it felt a, very organic. Yeah. Now we are three men leading very <laughs> different lives in different parts of the world. Sure. You know. So, um, but that being said, who knows? Um, it, it's funny, you know, one of the things that that taught me, that that was a very, very valuable lesson in that there was real magic and we didn't fully seize the moment with it. What do you mean? Um, I think there were opportunities that came that we could have jumped in with both feet mm. and just gone for it and gone, what is this thing, the bends? Yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> and Well, when you have three people it's, it's harder to so, make that happen well, get everybody it's on so same page. rare that our schedules would even align but right. it, there was a moment when we could have and we didn't and that's a whole you know there are all these was there any factors. kind of power struggle within that dynamic i mean not not more so than any type of collaboration yeah. I, I just think it was like we didn't all see eye to eye with the urgency with which to act mm-hmm. right there was a window so yeah there was a window mm-hmm. and there is with every and what that that if I could extract one major lesson, it's from the bends. Mm-hmm. It's that windows open and close. Mm-hmm. And after that experience, I really resolved to never, like when the door opens, you run through it. Yeah. You do not stop. Don't check your watch. Don't. It's like that's good advice. In you're general, gonna yeah. get this. You're gonna get this moment, and it's like you got to be ready to go. And mm-hmm. it, again, it might be in an area you're not expecting. Mm-hmm. But but if you don't if you don't seize that. Mm-hmm. The timing will change and the the moment will pass on and yep. something else will be more relevant to the people that were, whether it's offering you money or a stage or, you know, whatever it exactly. is. So, so it's just, that was the one experience where I, I got it. Mm. I internalized that lesson. And I don't yeah. think I've, 
Um, not that it was like my particular mistake, but I don't think I've been part of a mistake like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we all have a, being a, being yeah, a yeah. parenting podcast. I yeah. think that's great advice for children. When sure you have not. the opportunity, you got to go for it. You can't be af- afraid to fail. Yeah. You might fail. You can't think it to death. That window opens up. You got, you got to go. Mm, you got advice. It, we should call it Kevin Hart in that shit. Like you got to Kevin Hart that like you got to be in every movie, every minute, <laughs> take advantage of your time, take advantage of your window. Kevin Hart that shit. Yeah, he is kind of doing that. I think I just came up with a new saying. Every <laughs> Kevin Hart that shit. Hashtag Kevin t-shirt, Hart that shit. It's a t-shirt. <laughs> um, there's some questions just for me. I'm weird and I have questions. And I have a pad that I keep by my bed just in case. I'm like, wait, let me write this down. So I had a que- question for you that I got to ask. Okay, so you were named by PETA. The sexiest vegetarian, I, but he's, I, but he's I not a vegetarian. I don't, I know. I don't okay. know if that's true. I honestly, like, this is the thing we okay. are talking about early internet days. It and doesn't matter. No, Sexy. but things have been. I think there was a thing. To be totally honest, I think mm. what happened was, I think Peter were going through a, a publicity angle. Okay. At that year, where they were like, "Hey, let's list fifty people that are sort of notable that are vegetarians." Mm-hmm. And we'll call them the sexiest vegetarians. And I'll be like, and then I uh, honestly, that's what I think. That's all I think that happened. Man, but just, somehow, just like with go Wikipedia, with it, don't own just it. go with it. With Wikipedia sexiest and everything, it's like, it just doesn't make go any with it. sense. Yeah, what I was going to. If, if I was on some list like that, I, I would uh, own it. There'd be a banner above me that I'd be walking around town with to let everybody know. Don't, Matter of fact, why that. aren't you wearing that on a t shirt like right now? <laughs> like that, that would be the first thing you'd see as I walked in the room. Because you, I because I've got to wear this Kevin Hart that shit t-shirt. So. <laughs> Dude, we can go in and sell some t-shirts. Let's talk about that off offline. I think we just got something. But no, you, swipe up. You you <laughs> eat fish, and Peter tells you you're sexy. Does that mean that you're so sexy that Peter's just like fuck it? You're sexy enough. You can eat fish. <laughs> Sounds like Peter doesn't do their homework. I, I don't, don't think so. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Damn. And, so, and again, this is how things get truncated over the course of a 26 year <laughs> career. It was probably like four years later. Someone mm. said, "Are you a vegetarian?" I said. Actually, I eat fish. And then the four years, I don't know. It, and then it becomes like, oh, they gave him an award, even though he ate fish. I was like, none of this happened, you guys. And then you get hate emails from people who are real right. vegetarian. Yeah, that's probably you probably did get hate email after yeah. that. Huh? Yeah, I'd imagine. What about okay? So you 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 married a beautiful actress. You dated Claire Danes. Is that the best part of being a celebrity? Getting to go out with all these beautiful women? It's got to be. It's really. One of the things that um, I'll say, um, I was talking to my stepdaughter and she, like my wife and um, uh, Kate, my stepdaughter, her dad, David. So they're, they're, you know, she's the product of that Mm -hmm. um, relationship. They're both very sort of like um, conventionally just beautiful people. Sure. sure. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And Kate was saying to me, um, she was crying one night being a teenager. It was really sweet. She was just like, do you know how hard it is having like really beautiful parents oh, as a teenager? <laughs> I was like, kind of my dad. I said, yeah, but look who got them. <laughs> I was right. like, what a, one of the things I realized very early on, and I don't, I'm not saying this in some like arrogant way. I'm just saying like, there's a lot of other forms of currency mm-hmm. um, and charisma, talent, sense of humor, um, you know, sometimes you'll see guys, you're like, how do they keep like punching above their weight? <laughs> right. Um, and, and you realize they have other assets, you know? Yeah. And, and I just, um, beautiful women, I was not intimidated by them. Um, mm-hmm. uh, they just seem this, I, I don't That's know. That's a trait. Confidence. Yeah. That helps. I don't, I just saw them as 
human beings always and I you mm. can impress them the same way you can impress any other human being yeah. and so I, I don't know that was sort of I, I just didn't there was some reason I don't know why I guess um, I just didn't feel that as a block yeah, mm. yeah. no and we, we speaking your wife Iona Sky, been acting probably as long as you've been in music or longer maybe yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. know another weird question have you ever been in like just had the urge to go outside your the room the, your house and hold a stereo above your head and wait for her. <laughs> Absolutely to... surprising reference. No, um, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> you've got to do it. You got to do it for me at least. Can okay. I do it? Okay. Can I come over and do it? Oh, no, okay. maybe. Yeah. Can I, I come over deal? and do it? <laughs> it would seem that that would be like you'd have to do that at least one time. Just to, and it probably. I'm, gu- her I'm guessing her. He got her with cooler stuff than being cheesy. <laughs> no, like that. that's some stuff you do after you're married, to where she's not going anywhere, and you wake her up at three in the morning, and you have now like this. I can be annoying. Yes, I would totally do that so if the, you know if it, if it's allowed okay, check with I'll, her i'll keep the i'll come idea, over on yeah. the weekend and i'll hold a stereo above save it for a rainy day please <laughs> all right so um we did we like on this podcast we have you know we talk about the world we talk about some social issues and and not we have one segment we like to do called explain a black thing to a cracker he's okay. the he's the cracker i'm the cracker just for he's, clarification he's black person, i'm, I'm still black tell. okay yeah <laughs> so i th- thought we could do that now Yes, go ahead. All right. So I got three of them. Let me see. Um, why do so many black women get so fired up and angry when a black man ends up with a white woman? Explain that black thing. First of all, all black women are born fired up and angry. Just the way they <laughs> <laughs> just No, I'm just kidding. Not all of them. But a huge, it's in the DNA, definitely. Um, it goes to a whole... And I went through the same thing in college. Because you, know, you get to college and you get... Uh, sort of exposed to a whole new surrounding you've never been you know there's white women there's asian women whatever and i took advantage of that as a matter of fact there were so many white women that i was interested in and had relations Stop with bragging. no Come seriously on. i thought it was part of my financial aid that they gave like white women <laughs> to black i did and i still do like it was part of financial aid and here's your white girl you get hurt for your fall semester that's so messed up I'm just, it was they were like falling out of the sky it's it, just true and if you're black and you went to college you know what i'm talking about but <laughs> And as I would be out with these other races, you'd get these scornful looks from black women because when you're black and, you know, you've historically, not me personally, I didn't experience slavery. I'm not that old, obviously, but historically, you've gone through so many tribulations and trials and everything else that there's a tendency to think in our own race. And I don't speak for all all black people. I can only give you my interpretation. try to. I have been elected this week. It was a black people's meeting on Wednesday. We usually, your week. Yeah. So I'm speaking for him this week. But it you have to sort of understand that they, black folks, look at it as we're in this together and now you're separating from the flock. You are now not with us. You're now on their side, whatever their side means. And you get the looks. That's really the meat of the issue. So they see you as being a traitor. Yeah, you, you're abandoning them. You know, they, they do realize that's racist, right? That's well, not that different to, in the Jewish community. No? I feel like if you're dating and not, like if you show up to something with like a real blonde, like obviously sure. like, non-Semitic, not, you know, <laughs> no, um, you definitely get that sort of like, do you remember the Holocaust? <laughs> <laughs> like it's your personal duty to ensure this bloodline continues. continues you yeah. Know? So, <laughs> this is a, yeah, it's the same thing. Yeah. You, you get the scorn and the looks and you know so your 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 wife is not no she's Jewish oh she is Jewish yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but you stuck with it but I was it's sort of incidental I mean I don't know like I was not that was not a 
I mean, Claire wasn't Jewish. We could have, we were together six years. We could have gotten married. Um, it was not some, it was not a deal breaker for me, yeah. but it ended up that way. Maybe just being in LA, it's like the odds rose. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty high here. Yeah. yeah. Is there, is there a large uh, Jewish contingency in Australia? Somewhat more than you'd think. Yeah, like, I would have thought there was none. shocked by it. So, yeah, 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 yeah. There's quite. Yeah. yeah. No, if you didn't go Jewish, the Hollywood community would come after you <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it'd be exactly. over. <laughs> it'd be like worse than o- if Oprah came after you. Yeah. But so what else is going on? Oh, Dwight Howard. And I don't know if you've, you've paid attention during Thanksgiving. Dwight Howard plays for the Washington Wizards. He's bounced around, been an NBA player for years now. Are you a basketball fan? I, I'm going to um, claim that it was Thanksgiving. That's the reason I wasn't paying attention to this. <laughs> <laughs> that I would go with that. I don't follow any sports. <laughs> yes, I would go with that. No. Uh, so anyway, a transsexual male and i don't i'm always confused about that is it a transsexual male if it's a male who's a woman i don't know a man who a woman who was born a man let's say that transgender uh, transgender trans there you yes. go transgender i always make sure i'm saying the right thing um she came out on twitter and basically blasted dwight howard as first exposing him as her boyfriend uh and again people did not know he was gay we don't know for sure if he is but she claims he was her boyfriend. Well, technically, he, that wouldn't make him gay. If, if a transgender a, woman. See, this is where it gets confusing. Well, yeah, I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah. Let the Mensa boy educate you on oh, these things. He's a member of Mensa. I got inducted into Mensa. I like to he, throw that out every podcast. At least once. <laughs> so anyway, she tells that he was her boyfriend. And then on top of that, he and his entourage have been threatening her to keep her quiet because she didn't sign a non-disclosure agreement or something to that effect. And she went through a litany of things on Twitter where she released some of their phone conversations oh, man. and talked about how he liked sex with men and how men have sex and all that other stuff. And he hasn't responded as of yet. He but, shouldn't. But just shouldn't. retweeted a lot of them. Just just everything. Yeah. Just, <laughs> <laughs> just favorited so, them. <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah just, just put a heart on all of them. Like, yes, that's me. But. It's raised a couple of issues where people, people on one camp are saying, hey, if it's true, it's unfair that she outed him. No, she shouldn't can't. have outed him. You're not supposed to out somebody like that. But if she's being threatened, then well, you can't threaten. They're both wrong. You can't well, threaten people. Well, that's the thing. Is Can it, I say that was the least effective threatening yeah. I've heard about in the history of threatening, <laughs> <laughs> if that was her response. <laughs> yeah. But that's the thing. So that's been the, the sort of the issue at the table. What do you feel about Dwight Howard, longtime NBA player, now being accused of, you know, being at least bisexual, I guess? I, it's very confusing. I mean, it's, it's his business. It and is people his business. should be able to be who they are and not feel like they have to hide it. But if he wants to hide it, that's his business to do so. This woman mm-hmm. has no right to out him like that. She's doing it for attention, Even, which is well, always yeah. the case in these kind of things. Yeah, and I think she's... And if, and if he came back and threatened her, that's messed up they're both bad people that's my judgment they're yeah. both bad people now if she if he threatened her and it's real then i think she has the right to come forward and let people know hey this is what's going on i guess she outed him first as part of her telling that you know she he's she's basically being threatened oh he was threatening her before she outed him that's correct okay i'm on team her then yeah i think yeah. that's safe. i don't i don't know anything about this but yeah you, you can't you can't threaten people ben you care to weigh in stick stick your I just, in the water i'm just um i i'm in disbelief at how many levels of this make me unqualified to answer. Like, like well, I'm hearing... We are too. It doesn't stop us. <laughs> I'm, hearing, no. I'm hearing so many things that disqualify me from giving any kind of educated opinion. Yeah. Um, but but I, I do think it's interesting just in terms of um, dynamics. 
the way strategy is employed mm-hmm. um, in different, you know, everyone's got a different game they're playing um, and including, you know, love and success and all these, sure. all these games. And, and I try and look at the moves people are making with their little chessboard with less judgment um, and less sort of moral certainty mm-hmm. and more going, hmm, wonder where they're going. Speaks to what you said yeah. before about not knowing. Because people are living going mm-hmm. somewhere and they have reasons for the mm-hmm. strategies they're using. Unless they're and this is one of the problems with um you know um why I think people don't like having a very hot headed leadership. Yeah. Because there's a lack of real foresight. Mm-hmm. Um I, I think what makes life fun including politics fun is when there's genuine strategy and foresight. And when you sense reactivity, Mm. it all becomes less interesting. It's almost like um, kids who just resort to beating each other up in the schoolyard Mm. instead of like, the, think of all the ways that competition can spur people into interesting spaces um, of wanting to become better or wanting to do more complex things or more, you know, uh, uh, and just hitting each other over the head. Mm. It's just a more barbaric so, so I try and always pay attention to the try and see what game is being played mm. and where what are people trying to get out of these different yeah, yeah. well moves, the game the game know. here is if Dwight Howard's done these things mm. he doesn't want it out because as an NBA basketball player that's not masculine mm. that would not be good for his career right Probably, that, his that's brand, the game on his end whatever yeah but there's yeah. there's there's subtleties of that too I think there's also um, people who may not be ashamed. Mm. of of who they are but they also feel that part of having a dignified success in the world is having an element of privacy mm-hmm. around certain sure. things and they're not going to like deny maybe something but they're also not going to like blow a trumpet about it so yeah. so I, I just think you can't always tell that that's what i mean there's like there's layers of where people want to go what they want to say in the world what they want their life to represent mm-hmm. that often we miss the subtleties of mm-hmm. um that can we're be not quite, good at subtlety complex, in this country you know? <laughs> or really in this room no <laughs> that's not really our thing <laughs> yeah i mean it, that what you just said kind of goes along with what you were saying before about not knowing you just exemplified that there and demonstrated that sure. whereas we kind of rush to judgment. Of course so, we do. Kudos. Well, it's, but you know, no, but, <laughs> but that's the of, show, right? I mean, that's, <laughs> and that's the thing, like people, there's a narrative that that is entertaining. Yeah. Yes. Um, and that may be true. There are moments when I like to hear like a comedian go on a rant about something as if it's black and white, but sometimes- It's not entertaining if he's like, oh, I don't know. Yeah, but yeah. sometimes yeah. what they're highlighting is they're almost playing a character, a caricature of a person who knows. Mm-hmm. And that's funny. Like when I hear Jerry Seinfeld talk about how stupid it is to- I don't know, whatever, you know. You're just beating him because he's Jewish. Eat the wrong cereal with the wrong, you know, whatever. Like whatever Whatever his company's about. I love it, yeah. Yeah. Um, Partly what's funny is how much of a moral authority he's playing over something that there's no right or wrong answer to. So so again, these are all like subtleties of humor and entertainment that are fun. And I will say, I think she either is in the process of or has written a book already. So well, there, that, there's a little game a going too. on there too. But if he's yeah. threatening her, then it, it takes a different shape. Yeah. Um, topic number two. Um, there's <laughs> a story about these people and these people are going overboard a little bit, but claiming that Charlie Brown and the whole peanuts, Charlie Brown, you, did you got Charlie Brown yeah, in Australia? Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm familiar. Ch- uh, Charlie Brown was racist because 
the Wait, one Charlie Brown the character. Well, or the, the I'm sorry, the cartoon okay. that, written by Charles Schultz. Be I think it is specific. Sorry about that specificity. I said that on one take. Um, Charlie Brown or Peanuts. The character Franklin is the only black character in the whole, uh, you know, uh, show or comic strip. During the Thanksgiving episode, they have a table where all the white cats or cast members or characters of Charlie Brown are on one side. Franklin, the lone black character, is on the other side. Eating Just black eyed peas and eat, chitlins. <laughs> is that true? No, it's <laughs> the black eyed peas and chitlins. Is, no, but that's true. Yeah, that. they're just kidding. Yeah, but he is by himself. He's sitting on one side, and four of them are on the other facing him. So there are folks that made the argument that this has to be racist. Why would Charles Schultz create? And it's, it's, it came around Thanksgiving. It's the Thanksgiving episode. That's a of, famous. The, sure. You know, that's the famous one with all the famous music. Exactly. In it and, yeah. Okay, well, yeah. So my thought is, is that if Charles Schultz created Franklin because there were to create promote diversity, that was the whole reason to put the black kid in the show. Otherwise, leave him out. It doesn't make much sense to me to put the black kid in the show just to <laughs> discriminate him against him like in real life. I I think they went overboard in that case. Uh, you think who the, went overboard? The people the, judging the, it? The, the, the critics, the folks that yeah. criticize. I mean, it's a, you know par for course with what we've been seeing in social media with people rushing to judgment and accusing people of being racist before you have all the facts. Like, sure. He's on the opposite side of the table. Like That's just how he drew it. Does yeah. it have to be racist? Yeah, and I think it's one of those things where he could have Drawn. Did anybody throw out an N word during no, the episode? Okay, no, that was that was. Were, the, they, were they all eating together and having a good time? That was friends. The, that was the, in the expanded version. You have to get the DVD <laughs> where Charlie Brown calls them the N word. That's in the takeouts. Yeah, yeah. you got to Yeah, that's in the outtake. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, another another example. People just getting a little too sensitive about the subject, and it's it's a natural reaction um, in the world right now with what's going on with leadership to some degree. Mm-hmm. But people are going overboard with this stuff, and it's not healthy for us. I agree. Ben, you have any thoughts on racist Charlie Brown? I really, I don't, I really don't know. I mean, it's hard to imagine. Um, I, I suppose anything's possible. Yeah. yeah, maybe he is a little racist. You know, he did keep Snoopy in that house outside for a long time. That would be a racist. Snoopy yeah. is a different race. He was a dog. Well, that's a racist. Make the dog live separate from the humans. I think that he's no, no. He, that's not a, a different race. That's a different species. That's a different species. But he, the Snoopy, well, the species or the race for us is human. Mm-hmm. Black and white aren't. A race. They're just different genetic traits. Dog oh, is that human. true? That's yeah. like a semantic issue. I don't know about yeah. that. Mensa. Is Mensa. that true? Yeah. So the entire conversation about there being different races, you're saying amongst humans, you're saying from a linguistic level is not true. It's the wrong word, yeah. No. Is that true? Wow, that's fascinating. It's his interpretation. I wanna I'm gonna <laughs> do some research into that before I start throwing that around at dinner parties. <laughs> that would be yeah. a good idea. Yeah, please. <laughs> Yeah, let's let's put the uh, disclaimer on that before we get sued. So right about now, mm-hmm. uh, NASA, the InSight lander, should be landing on Mars right now. Jesus. You aware of that? About eleven o'clock today. I saw that on CNN earlier, and um, you know it's always amazing what we pull together when we're not talking about Kim Kardashian and what we're able to accomplish. I mean, yeah, when, right? <laughs> when we're not distracted by other stuff, we could actually put. A spaceship on um, uh, another planet. It set out light six months ago. Away. Six, yeah. not not light years, or whatever though. it is. <laughs> light years, <laughs> two, one planet away. Not the thing is, it's, it's, it's an accomplishment. Set out six, six months. months ago. Yeah, traveling at twelve thousand miles per hour. Sure, and it will land at five miles per hour. It's gonna. It's digging beneath the surface of Mars, searching for Mars quakes. You mm-hmm. know, like earthquakes to to study it that way. Mm-hmm. And now we have the opportunity, the curiosity 
And now this one, the Insight, all mm-hmm. on Mars, three robots on Mars. And I feel like somewhere in there, there's a screenplay about the robots on Mars uniting, joining forces to develop like a robot super race and overtake Earth. Let's do it. Maybe we can get Ben to score that for us. Exactly. Kevin Hart, that shit. Not, that is not a movie made for me. I am the wrong <laughs> audience for that. You don't like sci-fi? Uh, I, I can get into it every now and then. Yeah. You just gave like us that lecture about fun. Sci-fi is fun. Yeah, I don't know why. I never bought... I, I mean, I think I half-watched a few Star Wars movies. Yeah, I'm just yeah. not, it just didn't speak to me. What, what kind of... What, what are you into? What am I into? Movies-wise. Like, uh, what kind of stories do you like? I, don't, I, I just... I don't know. I guess I like... Um, I guess I either like, like, comedies mm-hmm. or kind of just getting weird and trippy like yeah, i love I like tree of those. life like i loved um you like tree of life yeah i love that, that movie that was over my head man i love that movie but then did I you understand loved... it yeah i mean i understood i was a viewer of it i i don't i enjoyed it yeah i i don't know if i i don't know if i could write an essay about it but i i i when i reflect on movies i've enjoyed i remember like crying wow. multiple times during wow. that like i loved the movie wow um so I guess that's they're, they're like my maybe two genres I like the best. Yeah. Those are the easy ones. Well, I anyone, usually stick with comedy. Anyone who doesn't like comedy is just not alive. Yeah. Like comedy, you know, after a hard day work, just, you know, go home and put on something stupid like Step Brothers. Oh, Step Brothers, yeah. Just laugh. Do you want to go do karate in the garage? Yup. Oh, I wanted to ask you, speaking of camping, I'm a big camper. I love camping. You know, I get together with a group of friends. We do it often. Your wife's in the show. You scored it. Do you actually go camping? Is that a thing you do? I like I like camping. Um, the last time I went was rough though. My daughter actually for her ninth birthday, she wanted to have a camping night out. Like we went up um, near uh, near Santa Barbara and we booked a campsite and ten families came. Oh wow! And it was amazing. We had a beautiful. But I got hit with food poisoning oh, from no. a lunch I'd had. Uh, I mean, it was like being in the TV show. It yeah. was like, they're just like, the way, and I literally spent the night shivering in the oh, back of awful. the car while everyone else had like the best time. Not a good night. And my, we didn't realize it was food poisoning first. They thought it, we thought maybe it's a, a bug. So my daughter was like, you're not sleeping in the tent with us. Because <laughs> she didn't want to catch it. Oh, so that's like cold. Relegated that's to the cold. Car. Yeah, sounds pretty brutal. Man. As a father of a nine-year-old girl, and this is happening to me. Are you realizing that everything you do embarrasses them now? Is that are you there yet? No, nah, he's a cool dad. No, yeah, I'm a little you. a little bit. A little <laughs> yeah. bit. Well, yeah. it's funny how like yeah, okay, so like there's this idea of like being like a cool parent or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not mutually exclusive. Like yeah. your parent your your kids can still respect sure. your taste mm-hmm. in like music, movies, books. And find you embarrassing. Yes. <laughs> so I think we used to think that there was a shield mm-hmm. by having like good cultural yeah. taste yeah. that we would not embarrass our children. We like realized, yeah, oh, no. that didn't protect us at all. Right. <laughs> right. No, I get stared at. I give a high five to one of her friends. She's like, please don't do that. <laughs> like, yeah. Here, here's a good uh, parenting type of question for Ben. So, you know, you're famous. Your wife is famous. Your daughter has two famous parents. How do you keep her like grounded about that idea? Well, I mean, again, it's like, the it's it's kind of similar to what I said in the beginning that our degree of fame is is it's not intrusive at all. Like my daughter, like she'll even qualify to go. My dad has fans in Australia. That's how she <laughs> she tells her friends, um, and she knows like Mama's on a TV show. It's not like the biggest show in you know what I mean. Yeah, right. It's not like she's on the Big Bang Theory. Like I mean, it's of, on HBO. That's no, no, no. Big. I know, but yeah. in terms of like how that affects a nine year old's consciousness, sure. is really so. Not it's not that, you don't have like paparazzi and oh, that sort God, of thing. To worry no. about. I okay. mean, it's like and honestly, like I love. I, I think um, 
I think being successful on the fringes of entertainment mm-hmm. is the best place to be. Probably. You actually have the most fun. You're, yeah. you're, you're working with the people who know about you mm-hmm. are genuinely into you. Yeah. So like, you're not like in that weird mishmash of people who sort of just, I don't know, are like forced to work with you or something. Like I only get jobs from people who like, like know me you and respect like, me, you know? Yeah. And, um, and I'm never, I don't have any of the pressures of like people that have, you know, just under such scrutiny in the spotlight. So it's really like, yeah. I would really recommend like, this is one of the things I think is great about American, the American entertainment business is the market is so big that if you get a tiny niche, mm-hmm. you can sustain yourself. That's somewhat. what we're trying to do here. Yeah. yeah. You can mm-hmm. sustain yourself somewhat and not have to deal with the incentive. Like why anyone would want to be a mega star no. yeah. to me is like, I was like, no. what's the point of that? That just <laughs> well, looks like you almost have to stop being a person at that point. It's all hassle. You yeah. Know? <laughs> so, yeah. 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 I've heard a lot of people say that. I mean, I, I wouldn't know, but yeah, that's, that seems like it would be a nightmare being like Tom Cruise or Will Smith and just your every move is being watched. Bananas. Yeah. yeah. You don't want that. You don't want that. Like my kids, my kids, they go to school and brag about how their dad's the strongest dad in the world. And I'm not, I'm like third strongest right, right. or about how I'm smartest and I'm probably like fourth or fifth. But <laughs> if I was, you know, like if I was making records and people were buying them, I, I wouldn't well, know how to keep no that under control. No one's buying records. That's true. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah. You dated yourself. Man, that though. sucks. <laughs> that, how do you make money now off of music? I mean, you, you sell to, like, you do a score, it's but, different. like, do you know. make money off your old stuff anymore? Uh, a little. I mean, you know, a song, maybe a song in a commercial, live concerts. Mm-hmm. Live concerts. I, I just look at it. I mean, there's a whole other conversation, but the relationship to money as a creative person um, you can't be too freaked out about it because if you really think about it, you will mm. freak out. Um, you have to have some degree of trust that there's an a value exchange. And if you keep delivering value, it mm. will be compensated to some degree in some way. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know. That's a good happens. attitude. But you know, it's like, but I, I mean, you, you have a family, you live in Los Angeles, like, you know, you gotta, get yeah, but all there. I can tell you is, and this is 26 years into being a moderately successful musician. Yeah, with many, too modest. No, 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 no. But with many gaps of like, yeah. you know, not having like very flush years. I mean, ton, lots and lots over 26 years. Mm-hmm. Um, I would just say I refuse to be intimidated mm-hmm. by the concept of money. I, I, I just refuse to be a slave to it. And I, that's great. I don't know. You, there's been times when it's been lean. There's been times when it's been more affluent and it's like, I'm going to keep making what I'm making. That's what yeah. I do. Yeah. yeah. I am a slave for money, Yeah, but, but I've promoted from the I last. I can't say that. If I said that, it's the show would be canceled. But it is a promotion from the last time my people were slaves. So <laughs> a slave for money is different than, you know, the previous thing. <laughs> way back. Yeah. yeah. So I've taken a step up. <laughs> All right. You guys good? Yeah. Thank you guys. Ben, no. man. Real pleasure. Awesome. Thank you. I feel like turning the mics off and just talking and having a beer right now. I got to go make music. Oh, well, no. that's <laughs> nice. let's, not, let's not destroy the process. Ben, thank you for joining us. Uh, we appreciate everybody for listening. Uh, thank you guys for sending your questions. Continue. Keep that going. It's been a great show. You got anything is... you want to put out there? Yes. Yeah, people can find me, Ben Lee Music, on all my socials. And just, uh, I got a mailing list on my website. I don't know. Just, I'm always doing a million things. If you're interested, come find me. Awesome. <laughs> yes. Ben, you've been great. Watch camping. Thanks. Yes, watch yes. Cra- camping. Listen to camping, too, because yep. that's Ben's music. Yep. And um, 
That's that. So we are on Facebook.com slash the dad presents. We're in the same spot on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, two weeks we got Ron Jeremy coming up. Wow. Uh, we got uh, Rodrigo Gracie coming okay. up in I think three weeks. And, and a rapper about four weeks after that. Well, that's pretty good. <laughs> Nameless rapper. Nameless, Nameless rapper. rapper. <laughs> Just stay tuned, figure it out. <laughs> right, sounds good. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening. Take care of your kids. Take care of yourselves. We'll see you next week. Peace. Who's changing? Cause we're changing and we're all in this together. Every 12 seconds, someone remembers that we're all in this together. In the kitchen of your rent control apartment, we're all in this together. I only wanted to reach out and touch you I've got to start to open my heart I know you think about jumping ship before it sinks But we are all in this together It's quantum physics, we are all in this together And on the subway, we feel like strangers But we're all in this together Yeah, I love you and you love her and she loves him But we are all in this together Baby, there's never been protection in all the history of human connection. Come on, darling, it's alright to show me you don't ever need to be lonely once you start to open your